Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to now come to your word. And we've worshipped, we've, we've sung and worshipped, prepare our hearts, Lord. We've, we've memorized scripture. We, we understand and see that to set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, that the only way we can do that is by going to your word and aligning our hearts, our thoughts, our lives with the truth of Scripture. So I'm asking, Father, that you would fulfill the promise that your word will not return void, that you would speak through me, and that this word would go forth and bear good fruit. Father, we thank you for this Christmas time, and as we look at the Christmas story this morning, may we be reminded about the, of the true meaning of Christmas May we be able to see some of the, some ways, Lord, our individuals and, and us as families would be able to uh, better celebrate this season. Thank you and praise you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read through Luke 2. You can follow along. We'll, we'll Read up through probably 21 here. I want to look at the sh- some some lessons that we can learn from the shepherds. Four specific uh, lessons that I can see that we can learn from the shepherds this morning. So we're looking specifically at them. But well, I'm going to make a few opening remarks about Christmas and make sure we can understand what we're looking at. It, it would be it's very interesting to look at Scripture on the Christmas story as we know it and as we would celebrate it. And you have the four Gospels. But Luke is the only one who gives any sort of written description of what's going on. Matthew comes the next closest. But go with me to Matthew 1 just so you can see the, the contrast between Luke 2 and Matthew 1. Now normally we go to, to verse 18 where we have... The birth of Jesus Christ. Some instruction given there. But you really need to start at verse 16. And it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Done. Christ is on the scene. And then he goes back a little bit and actually gives some, some instruction of what happened. But I, I find that interesting and in, in, in really one way. And that is, we look at this as something so unique, which it is. But the men of Scripture, and those who wrote Scripture, and men during that time, men of great faith, this was expected. Because there was so much prophecy. There's so much pointing to this. And so, Matthew could basically run through an entire genealogy and then go, and there was Christ. And we go, man, is that it? You're leaving us short. Go, why don't you write something like Luke did? But these men, this is what they, they knew this was going to happen. They had great faith. And they were not taken back by this. They were taken back probably by the scandalous way maybe it was seen. I mean, a, a woman who's a virgin gets pregnant. She's very young. She's not even married. I mean, there's, there, there's so much, quote unquote, scandal that has surrounded it. They were probably taken back in some ways by that. But much of the prophecy pointed to this. So we make this a huge deal. 
every December, and it should be. It probably should be bigger than we make it. But we've also got to remember this is the culmination of thousands of years of earth history that God had brought to this point. This was something that just didn't just come about. This is something that had been planned, and that's why we should celebrate it even more. Luke 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now there's an important, interesting point here. And that would be, why did everyone have to go register? Matthew Henry makes it a strong point that really probably what would have normally happened is that the, the head of household, just Joseph, would have gone to register. But you know what? Joseph couldn't have gone to register for his household because he wasn't married yet. And also, interestingly enough, there is a... All, should, all went to be registered probably because this was the first registration, as it says here. And number two, Mary and Joseph went probably because as they were of the house of David, they went to Bethlehem. They were kind of no, they were known as the royal line. Romans knew this. They had conquered much of the world, and so they knew, hey, if there's any going to be any uprising, it's going to come from the royal line. Let's get a full description of who we're dealing with here. And then we have all went to be registered. Verse three, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. In, in a way of some opening remarks, I, I just want to encourage you fathers to sit down and read through this with your children and teach your children the true Christmas story. Because there are a lot of misconceptions. <coughs> there are a lot of misconceptions that are taken from this story. For instance, 
the wise men. Most nativity scenes you're going to see have the wise men. Well, we're trying to be biblical, which is why you see the wise men over here. They have to go a far way to get all the way to the foyer. And the way they're moving as of Friday, they're not going to get there for a couple of years. So there is, there, there, there's this perception. You go to any nativity scene, you have the wise men there. And there's three wise men. Scripture doesn't give any terminology of, of how many wise men there were. We always have this perception that there's this donkey that Mary rode in. There's nothing in Scripture that shows she was riding on a donkey. Maybe she rode on a camel. Maybe she walked. Who knows how she got there. There's always the perception of this big, bad, uh, mean innkeeper. There's no description in Scripture of an innkeeper. Maybe there was just no room in the inn. And that would be another uh, misconception. There's no room in the inn. I think sometimes we're thinking the place was packed. There's no room in the inn. Well, Joseph may have had no money. He probably didn't, considering the fact that most men in the Jewish time had to work for a year to build their home. Well, right at the beginning of his betrothal, out of nowhere, he finds out things are not looking good for me. Because now I have my betrothed who's pregnant. And they probably had quite the turmoil surrounding their home. He may have lost all his business. So it very well may be that there was room, but he didn't have the money. It may not have been that there was no vacancy. And there's plenty of other misconceptions that, w- that are thrown out there. And I, I sort of wonder why. Why did we put all these things on the Christmas story that kind of romance it up? You know, the stable is always perfectly warm and cozy with just this glowing light. Probably wasn't anything like that. And it looks like it's always full of animals, and it may not have been perfectly full of animals. It was probably a very, very difficult thing. And a manger wasn't this perfectly uh, formed thing. This was a feeding trough that probably sometime in the couple days before had a bunch of slobbering animals drinking or eating out of it. So this was not, not as romanced as we would like it to think. Interestingly enough, certainly it had to happen this way. Can you imagine the shepherds, the problem they would have had? If the angels would have said, you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in one of the inns. Yeah, that would have been really difficult. End to end. Got a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes? We're looking for him. But they knew they had to go to find him in a manger. Uh, why, one of the reasons I think that we have so many misconceptions and we've romanced it is let's go to Philippians 2. Because the story in and of itself doesn't need any help. If you see the background and you understand the context, it is an incredible, incredible story. But I think we like to do it because of things like Philippians 2. Our pride would like to get in the way and say that we are really more than we ought to be. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Rather than, think, than understand really what Christ was, the humility in which he came. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even from the very beginning of Christ, 
we want to make this something that seems like we would actually, it would be worth it. There would be something just so special that would draw us. But no, there's nothing that is super special about this. In fact, we know in Isaiah, there was no form or fashion that would have attracted him as a man. He was a simple carpenter. He worked hard. He was born in the likeness of men. And yet he was the savior of the world. And we must humble ourselves to understand these things. As Christ was willing to humble himself and come in very, very humble circumstances. Back to Luke 2. Let's look at the shepherds. Four lessons I think we can learn from the shepherds. Here's, here's number one. Beginning, It's in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. I think this is the first thing we can remark about the shepherds. The shepherds were faithfully doing their duty. You know, we, they hadn't heard from heaven in quite some time. Between Malachi and this time when Christ comes. And there would be some who would suppose that these shepherds weren't ordinary shepherds. That they may have been caring for a very special flock of animals that were used for the sacrifice in the temple. I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but that certainly very well could have been the case. But these shepherds were just simple shepherds, but they were faithfully executing their duty. And I think that would be very much something we've got to remember as Christians. Are we faithfully executing the duties of a Christian? whether Whether it's small or great, are you doing what you've been instructed to do? Are you living out the Christian life according to the instruction of Scripture? James one twenty two, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. And we like to be hearers. And I imagine there were probably people in that day who wanted to rush about. Maybe even some of the shepherds, who knows, wanted to rush off to Bethlehem because party time was happening. Everybody was coming back for a grand reunion. Everybody was around. And yet here were men who were faithfully executing their duty. And we in America, we like to rush out and find that next greatest book. You know, the diet industry, you can look at the diet industry. Man, everybody wants to come out with the next latest greatest thing. And we try this and we try that. Or the next greatest speaker or the next theologian or the next uh, thought that may come along that kind of revolutionizes things. And we always forget there's nothing new under the sun. And instead of faithfully executing our duty, we oftentimes jump around and try to find that next magic thing that's going to shift our lives for the better and do what we've been trying to do, make the change according to what we've been trying to change. But we need to be like the shepherds, simply doing what you've been called to do, whatever that is. Do what you've been called to do. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the reading of Scripture and the memorizing and the meditating of Scripture. Be faithful in attendance in church. Be faithful, fathers, to lead family worship. Be faithful to share the, the love of Christ. Be faithful to decide. Be faithful on the simple, small things, which we know that are not necessarily simple nor small, but we often see them as that. Be faithful. Are we being faithful to the task that the Lord has assigned us? And interestingly enough, they were being faithful 24-7. They didn't have periods of faithfulness, which we oftentimes do, right? I've read my Bible, I've gotten in the Word, I did this, I've done my scripture, you know, I've done my school. Now I've, I've finished all that, I can go over here and do what I want to do or enjoy the pleasures of life the way I want to enjoy them because that was the first eight hours of the day and now I've got two hours and I can... 
We all like to compartmentalize things, but these men didn't do that. They had a faithful 24-hour vigilance that they went through. Some would suppose that this was during the summertime because they were keeping their flocks out by night. Normally in winter, you'd bring them into the fold where they'd be warmer. Who knows? Not quite sure what is going on there, but these men were faithful and were doing it even in the, even in the night hours. And we've got to remember these things. The second one, you see when the angel comes. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And we think, wow, why were they filled with fear? What an amazing sight. Wouldn't they have been really joyous? Actually, they had the right kind of fear. And that when an angel of the Lord appeared, they didn't know, is this bad news? Or is this good news? Is this something I've done wrong? Is this, a, is this an angel of the Lord appearing to give judgment? Or is he appearing to give blessing? And either way, they had the right type of fear before the Lord. And they had, this, they had a reverence. And the angel gives them instructions, obviously. The angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. Good news, there's the gospel. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. We would probably have a fear of man which they had an opportunity to have a fear of man, which you see at verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem. If they had a fear of man, they could have said, did you guys see what I said? Yeah, I saw that. Hey, let's just keep that right between us. They're going to think we're crazy. We don't need to be telling this to anybody. No, they went and did what they were told. They, they didn't have the fear of man. They had the fear of the Lord. Definitely we need to remember that. Make sure that we're having a fear of the Lord. In this Christmas season, when it gets, when we're quickly coming to the point where we're saying Merry Christmas is either one, not going to get you a response, or two, is going to get you a response that is not very kind, do we just stop? Do we not celebrate? Do we not speak of the joy of our Savior? Or do we have the fear of the Lord? Number three which you see in verse 15 as well. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They obeyed their instructions. They obeyed their instructions. instructions. The shepherds obeyed their instructions. And the Lord has given us specific instructions. Children, he's given you the specific instructions to honor and obey your parents. Fathers, he's given us instructions to teach our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Ladies, wives, he's given you the instructions to to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. There's many instructions in Scripture that are very explicit. And there are certainly many things in Scripture that fall, we kind of wonder is, where does Scripture, what does Scripture say on these specific things? But if we stick to really what we can see as very clear instructions in Scripture, we probably won't have near the trouble we would have trying to sort it all out in all the gray areas. Stick to the stick to the main things, the plain things. Obey the instructions of the Lord. And it's it's this is a good time. December is an excellent time to sit down and think, to sit down and think what are the what are some instructions of the Lord that I may not have been following as well as I should be, so that I can get it right in 2014. December is an excellent time for that. Take your children through Scripture fathers and, and look at them and say what, what, what are we missing? Why are we not following through the way we should be? 
and some instructions in our family that would really set us well, set up, set us up well for 2014. Number four. Number four. You see this in verse 18. Back up, one more verse, 17. And when they saw it, shepherds, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Before I give the fourth, the fourth point here, let me just say this might have been a really encouraging time for both Mary and Joseph. Because, because they have for nine months had to keep in all that had been happening. Both of them had had an angel visit them. And it had been a difficult time probably for both of them. And here they had this child. And it was in very lowly conditions. And it may have been very difficult for them. And then out of nowhere, a bunch of shepherds show up. Going, do you have a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger? Yeah, we have a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Why are you here? We just had this heavenly host explain to us that this was a Christ the Lord. And Mary and Joseph probably went, hey, we had something happen to us too. Let me tell you. It could have been a really a great time of encouragement, a mutual encouragement, of being able to explain and give testimony to what God had been doing over these nine months. And probably one of the re great reasons why the shepherds in verse 20 did what they did. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Interesting. <clears throat> all, they had, all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They just saw the Christ, but they also heard. And that heard could have been from the angels and it could have been heard from Mary and Joseph. All that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. by could be Mary and Joseph there, much less the angels. The fourth uh, point I wanted to make is the response, the, the shepherd's response was an overflow of joy at this Christmas time. They just exploded with an overflow of joy at their Savior. Because they, had, they realized they had to have the opportunity of seeing the greatest gift that they ever could have possibly had. Returned glorifying and praising God. Mary, Mary went a little deeper. She didn't just give praise and glory to God. She pondered these things in her heart. Matthew Henry would say that one of the greatest ways you can give glory to God is by meditating upon Scripture. And that's what Mary did. She's meditating upon these. She's, she's ruminating. She's thinking through all these things. She's treasuring them up. She's setting them aside in her heart as stones of remembrance for which she can look back in the later years as Christ grew and be able to remember what God had been doing. We've got to ask ourselves this question. We should be the most, the greatest joy givers, greatest gift givers in all the world in December because Christ the Lord has been born. We've been given the greatest gift. So giving lame gifts doesn't work Christmas. Got to give really good gifts, which you may have noticed. I not only have the spiritual armor of God on, I've got it on physically. Because I had the matriarch of our church give me an armor of God tie. <laughs> Nanny Rose bestowed this upon me, so I wear it in her honor. You can give great gifts at church. Got to give some great gifts. 
Can't be given lame gifts. But we should have the greatest we should have the greatest joy of the Lord. We should be able to be like the shepherds because the shepherds they only knew that night. And uh, you know, you probably these shepherds had a great honor. Can you imagine 30 years down the road, maybe one of the younger shepherds everybody would have been you were there that night that those angels showed up. They had a great honor. They had a great honor for years and years and years. And we oftentimes we celebrate uh, the joy of the Lord as our strength and what God has done in the gospel. And we get excited about it and kind of wanes off. And excited about it and kind of wanes off. But if we should just be continually growing in our joy and <clears throat> love and encouragement for what the Lord has done for us. It must be something that we are overflowing with because we've been given the greatest gift. We should be able to go into the grocery store, into the second pack, into wherever we are. And just have such a radiance such a, an, an opportunity, just a, a love for being able to give out for, because of what the Lord has given us. Some of you may have uh, and may have, these, may have this in your, in your homes, the Valley of Vision, a set of Puritan prayers. And by way of closing, I want to read through this, um, this prayer, the gift of gifts. And I would encourage you just to listen as I read through it. O source of all good, What shall I render to thee for the gift of gifts? Thine own dear Son, begotten, not created, my Redeemer, proxy, surety, substitute, his self-emptying incomprehensible, his infinity of love beyond the heart's grasp. Herein is wonder of wonders, he came below to raise me above, was born like me that I might become like him. Herein is love, when I cannot rise to him, He draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Here in his power, when deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity, the uncreated and the created. Here in his wisdom, when I was undone with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost. As man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds and enlarge my mind. Let me hear good tidings of great joy and hearing believe, rejoice, praise, adore. My conscience bathed in an ocean of repose, my eyes uplifted to a reconciled father. Place me with the ox, donkey, camel, goat, to look with them upon my Redeemer's face, and in him I count myself delivered from sin. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exalting that he is mine and I am his. In him thou hast given me so much that heaven can give no more. Let's close in prayer. Father, may we be able to echo this this simple and yet profound prayer that you have given us so much that heaven can give no more. There's no greater blessing. There's no gift. There's nothing in heaven or on earth that could give so much as the gift of your Son Christ. Oh, Father, help us to see this.
Help us to be overwhelmed, undone, as those shepherds were on that day, on that evening, when the angel came and declared glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Father, what a what a gift, the peace of God, your favor, your goodwill toward us. How glorious that is. It was given to us by your son. May we not forget these things. And Lord, I pray that as we would we would go out this week and the coming weeks through this Christmas season, we would rejoice in the true story. We would be we would be wowed not just by the lights and the pageantry and colors and smells and tastes of the season, but by the humble beginnings of our Savior. Christ the Lord and we would be we would be looking and longing for every opportunity even of the smallest degree to express our joy to those that are around us both stranger and friend or family Father I thank you for the the day you provided for us this cold day for the warmth within this building for the warmth of, of strong and godly fellowship May we spur one another on to godliness to this day as we would fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for those who came early and prepared some delicious treats for us. We thank you for the musicians that have practiced to be able to bless us with their playing this morning. We thank you for the, the diligence and discipline of Paul Renfro and being able to prepare a message in the second service. Thank you for John Willing being able to lead us in worship at that time and song. And Lord, we look forward to the work you're going to do this day. We know it's going to be a glorious work and help us not to miss that in our pride and in our selfish ambition. May your name be praised. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.